favorite chapter in Hebrews. Um, there are many things to say about nearly every chapter, um, but Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25 has occupied my imagination since I was in college. It's this invitation into the Holy of Holies, and today uh, we're going to look at verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered alone with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what God has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous and but my righteous one not belong to those who stand fast in their decision, but to those who have faith and are saved. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. This too is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray for me as I pray for you that in the next few minutes God's word will be rightly preached and won't you give me present for you today on your way out. Um, I want you to receive with you a small pamphlet. It's a small tract 
inviting Jesus into his social life and, and how hard that is. And then finally into his bedroom and into his sex life. And then finally into the hall closet, which holds his deepest, darkest secrets. Two weeks ago, they gave a copy of this to every middle schooler who attended the camp at our middle school. And we read it on the way home together. I listened to my wife read it out loud to our kids. And it took probably 15, maybe 20 minutes. And I was overwhelmed by the way God had aligned it with what we have been talking about lately. Which is how do we surrender? How do we connect Jesus into every part of our lives? How do we connect Jesus to our thought life and our political life and our sex lives and our emotional life and our friends and our families? How do we do that? And I love that this just gave a how-to guide that's a lot of fun to read and very, very beautiful. And so I wanted to give it to you because I think what is at stake is everything, is the gospel. You see, too often we invite Jesus in and leave him sitting in a corner somewhere. We just want him in our house. We don't want him through our house. We want him in the house, but not in our life. And part of the reason he never gets to invade and, and take over and move into every part of our lives is that it will take perseverance. It will take strength and courage and perseverance and not quitting. And that's the section we move to in this, the last part of Hebrews. You see Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19, starts with the therefore, which is having known that God wants to move into your life that you can be reconnected with God, you have two options. The first is yes, the second is no. We said a couple weeks ago, the first is yes with joy, the second is no with regrets. And now at the very end, starting at verse 32, we see that if you say yes with joy, there will come a time when the joy does not feel like joy, and you will have to say yes with perseverance. Yes with perseverance. There will come trials, there will come... Uh, Temptation, there will come pushback and fighting. There will come all kinds of incredible things. And in those moments, in those moments when you're tempted to give up, persevere. And we have to ask, why, does, why do you need to say this? Why do we need this encouragement to persevere, to stand strong? Why does Hebrews have to tell these Christians not to quit, not to give up, not to give in? Well, historically, uh, we don't know exactly when the book of Hebrews was writ written. Or to to whom it was written, and so it's really hard to talk about the specific kinds of temptations and trials that they're going through. But we do see that they have been exposed to public insult and persecution. That they've had um, their property confiscated. That some of them have been thrown into prison, and that in order to keep those in prison alive, people outside of prison had to go to the prison to give them food, risk and risk being in prison themselves. We've seen that they endured a great conflict, full of suffering. Some people uh, believe that, the, the con that this book was written to the, the Jews in and around Rome, or former Roman uh, Christians. And I believe that that means something to both of them and they feel. But uh, what happened was there was a great fighting in Rome and they couldn't win. That was on them. Thank you. 
emperor at that time, a man named Nero, is a, just a sick, masochistic man. And he starts to do incredible things. He, uh, he wraps them. We have historical records of this. He wraps Christians in flesh suits. Um, he ate Gaga and her knee straps. And then he puts them in the arena, the arena. will see in the near future. This is what Christians are going through. And they're starting to struggle. They're starting to, 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 to back away. They're starting to, to second guess themselves. Is this really the life that God had planned for me? Is this really the life that God had planned for me? You see, there's a lie inside of all of us. There's a lie that lives inside of all of us that says if God really loves you, if God is really involved in your life, if all of this Christianity stuff is true and you've been reconnected to God and filled with the Holy Spirit and God loves you so much he sent his only begotten son, if all that's true, then God will give you perfect health and overflowing wealth and fairy tale love stories with happy endings. And so we believe the flip-flop is that if, if things are going bad, if things are not good, if our relationships aren't good, or if there's political pressure, then God must be angry with us. God must be punishing us. Because, of course, bad things would never happen to people that God loves. God would, bad things would never happen to God's chosen people. You see, all of us, somewhere, even when we say in our heads, no, I don't believe that, somewhere deep down we do. And it comes out in these questions we love to ask, which is why do bad things happen to good people? And good things happen to bad people. We tend to look at our situation and then try to intuit and we try to determine how God feels about us. We look at the things around us, the size of our bank accounts, the, the quality of our love life, and say, if it's good, then I'm blessed, and if it's not, then I'm not. The problem with that is, like, I don't know, the whole Bible, from beginning to end, blessing doesn't look like that. From beginning to end, but especially from the New Testament forward, we see that if you want to know how God feels about you, don't look at your situation. Look at the cross. And so should you. If you want to know how God feels about you, look at, don't look at your situation. Look at the cross. And so should you. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever give up. Don't ever, ever give up. These people are tempted to believe that they've been abandoned by God. They are tempted to believe that God has left them. That this has to be a lie. Because if the gospel is true, then none of this stuff would happen. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been there, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're like, Jesus stuff. 
author of Hebrews points to two things for us to look at, to, to gain strength from, to endure. Really three. The, the, the big one that I'm not really going to spend a whole lot of time on, which is uh, in verse 35 and verse 36. This is the first one. It says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And in 36, you need to persevere so that having done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. In verse 34, it'll talk about these possessions we have that are waiting for us. These possessions we have that no one can see but are ours, that are guaranteed, that are locked away in a safe deposit box. And so he reminds them of the great reward, the great promise, the great hope, the great possessions, which we've talked at length about the primary one of those is community with God communion with God beginning to know God intimately and personally and live forever with God in the end of the serenity prayer it says trusting that God will make me reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next what a great prayer right reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next so he says first Think about that. But for most of us, that's so intangible, so hard to think of, so hard to, to come away with. It feels like pie in the sky and the by and by. And I don't really care about the end because it's so far away. I don't want to meet Jesus today and I'm struggling today. So it gives them two things to look at, two things to work backwards at. The first one, he says, remember, 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 remember. You see verse 32, remember. moments of my life, the more he infiltrates Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, when he would preach at the end of his life, he said, I'm only going, I'm only here to remind you of what you already know. I'm not going to teach you anything new, I will just remind you of the stuff you already know, because you need a reminder. And now we're told to remember two things, remember your story and remember God's story. First, he says, remember the earlier days when you first received the light. Remember the earlier days when you first received the light. Do you remember that? I know some of you did. I heard one of you this morning. They talked about the earlier days when you first learned that you could have a relationship with the Lord. I remember when I was in high school, I met Jesus summer in eighth grade and ninth grade. I met the Lord on Mount Robertson in 
up enough. I went to Arise. I went to prayer breakfast on Tuesday morning and uh, Bulldog Believers on Thursday morning and First Priority on Friday morning. And I was still a wicked pagan sinner. I still did all kinds of things I should not do. And it wasn't hypocrisy um, purely. There was a hunger inside of me that was God-given that was willing to to take on the persecution of my friends when I didn't uh, go out and drink with them. Was willing uh, to take on um, just looking strange when I uh, quoted the Bible to a friend before class. But somewhere that stuff stalked to God. I don't know if you remember the excitement of first meeting the Lord when you talk to everybody. You're like in the grocery store line and you're talking to just found yourself walking around singing praise songs. Maybe for you it was just joy or laughter or tears. I don't know, but there's this thing that happens in our early days, and that tends to fade. You have to remember those. You have to remember those things. You have to remember it and hold it in. Many of you have been to weddings, and at weddings, preachers love to give cliche advice. And one of their favorite cliche advice is, I hope on all the hard days you remember what caused you to Not terrible advice, just cliche. Remember what caused you to fall in love in the first place. But if that's important with your spouse, how much more important is that with God? How much more important it was with Jesus? And he says also, remember the trials you've already come through. And he listed them out. He pointed them out. He says, what has God already brought you through? What has God already delivered you from? He says, that didn't kill you? Look, you got stronger. God still hates you. God didn't abandon you. God brought you through it. If God's enough to remove you, like to, to take you out of the trial, he's also enough to lead you through the fire. He says, just because you're in prison for helping refugees, don't give up on Jesus. Just because your property was stolen from you, don't give up. Just because you, uh, just because there might be a police raid on your church today, don't give up on church. Just because there might be a terrorist attack at your church, isn't the Lord worth your life? Just because mom has cancer, or your marriage is crumbling, or your kids are wild, or you relapsed last week, or because you don't have money for the offering plate, or you lost your job, or your best friends unfriended you, or because, because, don't, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. God's already brought you through so much. You relapsed. Has God brought you through 90 days? Like 90 days is a million years. Like your marriage is struggling. You've made it seven years. Don't give up on God now. Don't give up on God now. If your kids are wilding out, if they're alive, there is still hope of redemption. So don't give up now. Don't look at your situation. Look backwards and see what God has brought you through. And can I just tell you, sometimes this is painful hard. It's been really hard for me lately to remember what God brought me through because I've experienced so much in my current pain. When you hurt, when your heart is broken, 
changed the color of her skin. And I'm so mad that God didn't do just one thing, but I can't remember the whole thing. prayed a specific prayer um, for youth workers, for people to come show up to volunteer and serve in our youth group. And that afternoon, uh, last Sunday, that afternoon, somebody came up to my wife and said, tell Angela I want to serve with her youth. persevering hard and so he doesn't just say look at your story because I forget my story I doubt my story I re he also says remember God's story and he does this in a subtle way a subtle way that um, that these people would have gotten but many of us miss starts in verse 37 look what he does in verse 37 he says then for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay and in verse 38, and, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the walking of man. In your Bibles, those should be offset, usually. Um, are those offset for y'all? Yeah? Um, that means it's a quotation from the Old Testament, that they're quoting something there. It's either a quotation or poetry, and you'll know it's a quotation because it's in quotation marks. And then next to the last quotation marks, you should see small letters, like superscripts, um, to go footnotes. If you have those, where did these quotations come from? They come from a book in the Old Testament. Anybody see them? H-A-B stands for Habakkuk or Habakkuk. You can argue all you want to over how you say it. I don't really care. I just call it Habakkuk. Habakkuk. They're from Habakkuk. I don't know about you, but I don't didn't know that much about Habakkuk. Um, had to reread the whole book when I got there. Habakkuk to the Roman church. You know why? Because the entire book of Habakkuk is written during one of the worst times of Israel's life. There is a failed government in place that is run by wicked people who are trying to collect as much money and power as they possibly can because the current government in the country is falling apart. The government in the country is falling apart. And so it reminds you of like the last kingdom, the southern kingdom around Judah and Jerusalem is getting ready to be destroyed and Habakkuk spends the entire first chapter, first chapter and a half of the book just saying God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, do you not see that the innocent are slaughtered? That the wicked prosper? That there are liars and, and, and power mongers all over the place? That nobody is faithful? That, do you not see that those who are trying to follow you just get worse? Like, get killed, get sold, hung out for dry? Do you not see uh, that the poor people are forgotten? Do you not see that the justice system is absolute, doesn't even work? Do you not see that there are secret trials and executions and torture? God, where are you? 
for a chapter and a half, Habakkuk keeps asking God, begging God, screaming at God, God, why are you letting all of this bad stuff happen? God, where are you? Would you abandon us? And these two quotations that show up in the book of Hebrews from this little tiny three-chapter book in the Old Testament are God's answer. There are two of the answers that God gives, which are not very long. The first one, God tells the people of Jerusalem, just before they're invaded, while they're starving to death, while, they, while wicked men are on the throne, this is what he says. In just a little while, you too will know that your God is your mighty God. He who is coming is coming soon. Who is that one who's coming? Jesus. Just a show of hands. Any question I ask you, just say Jesus. You'll be like 80% of the time. Jesus. You ask, did Jesus come for the people? At Christmas, the Lord of hosts invades his creation. The creator God takes on flesh and moves in. And these people, Hebrews, he's saying, look, God did answer that prayer, but he is also going to come again. And as they had to wait, as they had to persevere, as they suffered in hope, as they suffered in hope, you also suffer in hope. If you're suffering, suffer with hope. Look forward. There's a day of reckoning coming when the Lord will return to judge the living and the dead, when all sin will be judged, where all wrongs will be righted, where everything that is dead will be made alive. And then he says this. Then he reminds them of that one who came in a really subtle way. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith. But my righteous one will live by faith. Verse 38. This is the second quotation from Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 4. Your Bible might say the righteous or righteous ones. The righteous is the most literal translation. The righteous. The righteous. The singular form. It's not really singular or plural, but it is singular. Singular. According to the Apostle Paul, Jesus, this phrase, this, this sentence right here, but my righteous one will live by faith, is what Paul preaches everywhere he goes. It's the first thing he tells the Roman church in his grand thesis on theology. In chapter 1, verse 18 maybe, he says, but the righteous one will live by faith. In the first 20 verses, but the righteous one will live by faith. And Paul is thinking, Jesus Jesus lived by faith. At every moment of his life, he trusted God's goodness and God's love for us and for humanity and for himself. He trusted God and he lived out by faith. And he did not shrink back, but he went all the way to the cross. He went all the way to the cross. Think about that. He says, the one God loved, God's only beloved son, God gave him to suffer and die. And this encourages us. This encourages us. And this is what he says at the beginning of chapter 12. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, it says, 
fix your eyes. He says, let us run. This is in verse one. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. You want to know what faithful life can look like, does look like? Look at Jesus. He suffered that for you, and if you believe that he suffered that much for you, you will be more willing to suffer on his behalf because you will see the magnitude of his suffering and the smallness of your suffering. You will see the magnitude of his love and the, the smallness of your love. You will also see that you can't suffer this in your own power, but you don't have to. There is one who has all power, who has already suffered more, and who has given you strength to move through this stuff. You see, what Hebrews is trying to remind these people, something I have to be reminded of regularly. We're going to see in chapter 11 what's called the Hall of Faith. We're going to start that in a few weeks, the Hall of Faith. And it's all of these heroes of the faith. Adam, and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, and Moses. All of these incredible people, Rahab. But at the very end of that chapter, he's going to say this. I just want to show you this, and I'm going to turn to close, I promise. Look, it says in verse 35. And we'll start at verse... Um, 32, verse 32, it says, this is his summary. He says, what more do I have to say? Do I, ha I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign ar armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. You see, when, uh, when we start to imagine our life with Jesus, our life with faith, this is what we all imagine. We imagine that we'll have faith, we'll conquer armies, that we will be David slaying Goliath, that we will be uh, the mom who gets his kid back, that we'll be Jairus whose daughter is raised from the dead. We'll be the ones who receive miracles. Our infertility will be cured by faith. Our um, that we'll get justice worked on it, that we will uh, be healed from all sickness. That's the faith life we imagine. But look what is recorded next. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in tents and clothing.
Those are the heroes. Those are the, those are the warriors. Those are the people, the giants of our faith. Those. Those. The men who were run out of town for preaching the gospel. Humiliated because of their belief. The women who refused to give up. That's what God does. You see, friends, the world can understand why you praise God when you can't. praise God through your abandonment. You praise God through your kids' cry. You praise God when life hurts like the dickens. You praise God and it will blow minds. But God is still good. Thank you. 